When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Avengers, it's Age of Ultron. It's garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standem Live, where each week we give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. And after a brief detour in New Asgard and Omnipotent City, we're back in good old Jersey City for the finale of Ms. Marvel. Now, with me for all time and always, we have Denny Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard. And yet again, we've got two special guests this week. Welcome back, Denny Geek Audience Development Coordinator and Marvel Sandom Scene Stealer, Musna Shazad, and co-host of Crooked Media's X-Ray Vision podcast, Denny Geek Correspondent, and occasional guest over on our DC Standom show, the brilliant Rosie Knight. Just a quick reminder for everybody who's watching, we are going to be talking spoilers all through this episode, and we're going to get into them right away. So if you haven't watched season finale of Ms. Marvel yet, you might want to do that before you continue. Those spoilers are going to start right now. Kirsty, tell us how it all went down this week. In the finale of Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan lands back in New Jersey to find Cameron and Bruno on the run from the DODC. Kamala's friends and family, who now all know about her superpowers, come together to help intercept, intercept the DODC crackdown on Kamala and Cameron, but Cameron is struggling with both the surge of Nor energy inside him and the knowledge that his clandestine mother is now dead. Kamala manages to save Cameron from the DODC and he eventually escapes to Karachi where he is begrudgingly welcomed by a helpful Kareem. As the episode comes to an end, Bruno has a bombshell to drop on Kamala. After examining her genetic makeup, he has established that it's not just the gin part of her that makes her special. And as the X-Men animated series riff emerges from the show's score, Kamala is revealed to be a mutant and not an inhuman. In a mid-credits scene, Amandalani's Kamala unexpectedly switch place, switches places with Brie Larson's Captain Marvel, who is confused to suddenly be on Earth in Kamala's bedroom. Where Kamala herself has ended up, we do not know. And uh, I think now before we dive into what might be our final All Good Vibes episode of Marvel Standom for a little while, I should probably give some love to our sponsor this week. And this episode of Marvel Standom is brought to you by Bob Streaming Club. Do you ever find yourself a little overwhelmed by the number of streaming choices out there? Well, find you ever find yourself paying for monthly streaming subscriptions to services you don't always use? I sure do. There's a better way, folks. Let the good people at Bob curate your streaming experience for you. 
One low monthly flat fee gets you access to three fresh streaming services every month curated by the experts at Bob. They'll keep track of all the big releases and pick the services with the biggest things that month so you get the most out of every channel. Get your perfect slice of streaming with Bob Streaming Club. Head over to bobstreamingclub.com to learn more. One fun thing that we've started doing every week on Marvel Standom is we have been putting questions to the audience on social media. And we have some fun results this week. Uh, Andrew, can you uh, can you pull those up for us? You, oh, no, I didn't send them to you. Well, so much for that, <laughs> folks. This is uh, we're off to a sterling start on this week's Marvel Standom. And uh, let's just... Uh, <laughs> Cut me a little bit of slack. We are neck deep in San Diego Comic-Con planning, and this is like the busiest I've ever been in my life. So I blew it this week. What can I say? So let's jump into something we know we can actually do and talk about everybody's feelings about this week's episode. Rosie, it's been a while since you've joined any standup at all. How about you tell us what you thought of this one? Um, I loved this episode. For me, it was... I feel like it's very targeted at the things that I care about. I love ragtag groups of kids facing down against nefarious government foes, that kind of thing. Like always, I really love it. It reminds me of the X-Men, which is very relevant to this episode. I, I just felt like this was a very satisfying finale. For me, it worked. I also was very, I was very intrigued by the end of Lost episode which felt like it tied up basically every string in a way that felt quite intimate and very in line with the show which was this kind of intergenerational family saga so I was really interested to see where they were going with this I have to say and I've spoken about this quite a lot I still don't feel great about them turning Dwayne McDuffie's damage control into this kind of awful government agency i love you know normal comic book damage control where they're kind of just cleaning up after the mess of superheroes but i do think the way that they're using it to establish especially with agent diva a world of uh where superheroes aren't like so famous and so beloved and are actually seen as a danger that's something that mcu has not really had properly aside from this brief exploration in civil war so i just i thought it was really exciting and, and lots of exciting stuff for the future uh, i don't want to get too into the DODC tangent, but you're absolutely right. Like this is one little thing that has bothered me. The damage control comics are fun and funny and weird and ahead of their time. At one point there was a damage control TV series in development. And I love, I our one of our regular hosts, uh, Alec Bajalit is on his honeymoon right now and he will be back soon. Alec loves like bureaucracy in superhero <laughs> stories and stuff. And a proper damage control would be so up Alex Alley. And I just miss Alec right now. But it's true. Like, Don't forget one- that Alec also loves a baseball cap espionage and yes. disguises. <laughs> so he will be extra upset to have missed the double baseball cap. <laughs> they were delivering on the MCU spy thing. My The one hope I have about damage control, we see at the end of this episode, diva essentially getting fired and the kind of agent who's more in charge being like this is not the way so while i don't think they're going to completely demilitarize and defund damage control as it exists in the mcu i do wonder if we're going to get to see damage control become more of a 
comic book representation and then uh, whatever diva does next is going to become more of that sentinel program oppressing mutant yeah. kind of thread that they're going to need to do if they do the x-men defund the dodc a dodc ab baby like <laughs> get them out of here um well you know i think it kind of speaks to a little bit one of the few true storytelling blunders i think the mcu has ever made was blowing up shield so early and you know really what they've done with damage control here is like this is the kind of story that ordinarily like when shield goes bad this is the role that shield should be filling and it just feels like kind of forced in here as the dodc so i feel you like hopefully there's some other stuff coming and i love the way you're thinking with the with the sentinel program Mosna, how about you I really liked it. I really, really liked it. Um, I love a good superhero moment. If it's my girl, Kamala Khan, of course I'm going to be hyped about it, right? Um, seeing her in her costume, seeing her name come about, seeing all her friends standing up for her, um, it was everything I could have asked for Miss Marvel's finale. Um, and we can talk at length about, you know, like the pacing and should, should Karachi had been in the season or not. Um, but like... Everything just made sense to me. They kind of summed it up so well. And Miss Marvel's strongest point is the fact that there's family and community and they kind of um, delve into it so much. And I have not read the comics for Department of Damage Control, but I will say that I like this arc better for Miss Marvel than I do with the clandestines. Only they haven't, they haven't delved, and I, and I talked about it in season one, they haven't delved in the Islamophobia aspect at all. Um, and I think with this, they kind of glimpse at it or kind of show it. Um, Agent Deaver bothers me more than Najma ever has. Her, say, her stepping on the mosque with the shoes again, oh my God, I, it's, it's that moment. I, I hate it so much. And her implying, oh, if the wrong people have these powers and people, and the person is like, what wrong people? And she did not mean kids. Knowing her, she did not mean kids. Um, like seeing all of that, like I I, I kind of like this art. Um, and I and I want them to like highlight how Muslims, you know how Nakia talks about, you know, of course, this is a sanctuary, but this is a mosque in America. So it's probably highly surveilled right now. All of these like small moments, I think it was necessary. And I like that they highlighted it in the episode. I would have wanted more of that, um, considering in the comics, there's a lot more of this. Um, and I don't like Zoe's character also in regards to that, because I know she became this nice person at the end, but there was no redemption. <laughs> she didn't have anything negative about her in the start. Like they don't really show that. So I kind of felt a, a little disconnected with it. But overall, seeing her overlook New, New York like that, that was, oh my God, the best, the, the best thing to see on TV. Um, I love it. Kirsty, how about you? Uh, this episode didn't really work for me. Um, honestly, it just felt like it's the same thing we've been talking about with the six episode structure. It's just too limiting on the pacing of the story and fleshing out all the characters and making sure that everything lands properly. Uh, it's a tale of two seasons. I think we've talked about this before, but it feels like two seasons of TV are just squeezed into one. The Karachi stuff with the clandestine could have been a season two. Um, the DODC could have been less um, 
like cartoonish and been a season one and we could have spent much more time with these kids getting to know them and how this superhero journey unfolds properly even stuff like the the reveal towards the end which i know we're in spoiler territory already so i can say that that kamala is a mutant and not um an inhuman as we possibly sorry my ha- the fan is blowing my hair into my face it's really <laughs> annoying uh, and not an inhuman as we thought it just didn't land it didn't it wasn't impactful it didn't land for me properly because it feels like this show has spent so little time being interested in the nature of kamala's powers and how they work really um so yeah i really just there's stuff to love about this finale and there there were things that i liked but overall there's just um there's just too many problems with the the narrative here for me to really um get as excited as i was like i would like to be given that the first two episodes like are the best that the mcu tv projects have been like at all so it feels like it has not quite as been as consistent uh, as it should have been given that opening. Yeah, I have to say, if I if I have my TV critic hat on, this episode's a little messy. It's a little frantic, you know. And the season as a whole, it did feel like two. It should have been two seasons of TV. And this show was at its best in those first two episodes when it was unafraid to feel like television, you know. And then it kind of became a movie. And this episode in particular felt like the last act of a blockbuster movie and that's fine like there's nothing wrong with that but it just it was a little scattered but you know what ultimately i just had such a good time i like these characters so much that i can be really really forgiving of that kind of just you know general messiness once again i think any problems i had with this series it was really just a victim of the format of the show, not the show itself, not really the writing, certainly not the cast, you know? So yeah, like I, I, I'm sure I could, I could find things to pick apart, pick apart in this episode. And I think, I think Kirsty's criticisms are absolutely valid, but sometimes I just, the vibes are just so good, man. <laughs> say. The uh, thing is, you sound like exactly like I sounded about Thor: Love and Thunder, right? Yes. Um, uh, earlier in the week, we did our Thor: Love and Thunder show, and everyone was like, "Eh, it was okay, but this didn't work." And the vibes were good, but you know, <laughs> and so it does feel like a complete role reversal from uh, Monday night, and and it goes to show that it's just opinion. It's just yeah, what, it can be just vibes. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think as well, like with these MCU shows, kind of the joy of them, well, really every superhero project now, there's so many, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But like, but the good side of it is like, there is something for everyone. And and people really do get to have those subjective opinions. If you don't like this one thing, well, if you want like a a military espionage six episode miniseries and you want it to be about comic books, you can watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you want like a weird meta text on TV that also kind of connects to the MCU in a bigger way, you can watch WandaVision. If you want a teen, I think the thing that's hard um, I, I love those first two episodes of Miss Marvel like that. I thought was some of the best TV that Marvel's ever done, uh, like Kirsty. So like, I think it's tough because for a moment, it seemed like if you wanted a slice of life teen comedy set in this world, which is kind of what the comics did present themselves as as well at the beginning, 
this is what it seemed like. And then that took a very swift turn in, in, uh, in episode three. As a whole, I really feel like the series is just so good. And I feel like there's a lot of TV that's like messy and, and has problems, but doesn't have the vibes that this does. So I think I'm very much on that feeling of like when the vibes are good. Also, like I like this wacky, throw it at the wall, try stuff storytelling. Um, I think that a lot of the early MCU didn't do that because they were very much having to build a grounded, realistic world. So the fact that we're in cartoonish territory where kids can get powers and, and, and you can use the analogous nature, like something Musna said that really spoke to me is like the DODC stuff is important because it's doing something that X-Men always tried to do, which is present these analogs of oppression, but it's actually representing real world oppression. It's not imaginary. It's not what if mutants exist and they were oppressed. It was... There are powered people, but look at where the DODC is looking. Look at the way that they're harassing Muslim people. Look at the Islamophobia that also plays into it. I think that's really powerful and not honestly something that the X-Men comics have often done. It's always been more analogous than real world. So I think there's a lot of stuff they're doing here that's like really exciting. And, and if this is how they're going to set up mutants and, and kind of expand that world out, which I just would never have guessed... Uh, in a million years, they would introduce that in a TV show. Yeah, I think it's. I think we're on to something really exciting, and I I hope that even people who didn't love the show, they can find seeds of things within it that they can be excited about for the future. And I guess the one thing, just going off of that, that the Department of Damage Control allowed for, is for that big community moment at the end, you know, like we've seen these in other movies, like, you know, we've seen them like notably everybody's kind of talking about the vibes with, with the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, you know, like to, to a, a far, far, far lesser extent, there's a little bit of that in like the climax of the Batman. It was just really pure the way it was done here. And Musna, I know you were, you were particularly moved by some of this. What, what did you think? Yeah, I think I think I just want to um, mention how I talked about, you know, watching this with my dad and he had mentioned just throwing it back to like how she became who she is. Um, he had mentioned, you know, Kamala is not necessarily like a like a Pakistani name, for example. Um, and he said, you know, Kamal means Marvel. And maybe maybe that's where they're hinting at. And my and and I'm just like, no, because in the comics, it's not like that. And my, my so my father, who does not know anything about the MCU or the comics, uh, was right. And I'm going to have a very big I told you so moment right after this stream. But um, it was so magical seeing that play out. I love that they changed that from the from the comics and actually gave her her identity through her culture, through her language, um, her costume by her mom, which a lot of people on Twitter were speculating. That was beautiful. The community, like you talked about with Spider-Man 2, that's the first scene that came in, came in my mind, the train scene, where they kind of carry him. Um, and that community feeling like I always felt like um, being in Jersey City, coming here, um, spending, leaving all my friends and family back home, like all, I always felt alone. And the one thing that always kept me together was my community. And seeing that um, here play out on Miss Marvel, um, I was genuinely touched. I, I I was crying in this episode throughout, honestly. Like I, I know I've been crying throughout the scene. <laughs> <laughs> seeing that moment it was so beautiful and I know like 
of the police when they stand up for her. It's kind of um, not, I wouldn't say like real life that happens, but I know that's like kind of an ode to in the comics where the police were, were kind of supportive of uh, Miss Marvel. I remember when she was fighting, um, there was a whole scene in the high school where she was fighting in the inventor's robots. Um, they were like, should we fire at this person also? And then the head police person was like, no, I think that's Miss Marvel. Um, I think we should call. Um, and I think that was kind of reflected um, in that moment where they really stood up for her. It was, it was amazing to see. I really think like you're speaking to some of the things that I think this show does best that I hope that Marvel will continue on with, which is like, I wanted Maniba to be the one who made the costume so badly. It felt so important and they were seeding it so well. And that moment, the moment with her dad, with the, with the name, I think that a lot of the MCU as we've seen it in the last decade or so is very much about these singular figures uh, who are very powerful, who, who come from power, who are gods, who are billionaires, who have super soldier serum. This ground level stuff, which Kamala is at her strongest with, is so touching and it's so easy to build in moments of culture, moments of family, moments of intimacy that connect us with these characters. And I hope that that specific thing is really an ongoing thread that we see more in the MCU because so much of superhero comic book storytelling is like that. It's not always this grandiose uh military explosions, you know, um, working with governments, flying around, doing things. It's like a lot of times it's actually just people who want to help. Uh, Spider-Man obviously is the most famous. Kamala came in and became uh, the first real ground level superhero smash for Marvel since Spider-Man. They'd always been trying to replicate that. So I love that they made those things even more text here with the costume, with the name, with just like, I mean, even it's really smart, even using Kamala's love of Carol, even that is just so personal to her. The, the fan art, which I, I love the way they brought cartooning into this show, which is something we haven't seen a lot of in the MCU. I Yeah, I, I really hope that is what we see continue on, because I think those threads were just... I want. I was like, I would have been so mad if it wasn't Maniba. But when it was, I was just like, this is, that's the hero moment. You get so many different versions of it here. And I think it's very cool as well to see a story where a family, a lot of superhero stories, this is like a, a, a generalized tangent that I often go on, but like a lot of superhero stories are about lies. Spider-Man is always putting his family in danger because he has to lie about who he is. Like say this happens all the time. And I love that this is a superhero story where not only does the superhero's family know, but they support her. That to me is just, that's very pure. And I, I, I would love to see more of that in the MCU. Andy in the comments says, Muzna, I was right there with you. I was sobbing. Uh, what's up, Andy? For folks <laughs> who don't know, Andy is the host of the Flash podcast and a whole network of DC podcasts and just one of the best people in this business. So check out his work. I would like to add, though, um, uh, when Nakia made that Made in Pakistan comment, uh, when she meets Kamala, um, it's kind of a throwback to how Pakistan is uh, known for its textiles and cotton. And a lot of the things that you see here in a lot of shops, like it could be Zara, H&M or anything, they have that logo, Made in Bangladesh, Made in Pakistan. It was kind of an ode to that. Uh, I also like where her dad, when when he was talking to her, um, he kind of bring up brings up this Quranic um, teaching um, which is very, it's also in the comics, it's very famous. You know, if you save one life, you save all of mankind. Um, and I would, 
I would have never ever imagined in my lifetime at least um, seeing something positive being represented from the Quran. Like I, I was watching that and I was like, They're probably not not gonna show it like that, but it was it was amazing to see. I've I've loved how they've presented my culture here. Is there anything else? Because I know throughout the show, the assembling of her costume was kind of a thing where it's like each element of the costume kind of came together over the course of each episode, you know, and they all had different significances until, of course, her mom presents her with this, this incredible uh, and very MCU appropriate design wise uh, final, final version. Is there anything else to that? I mean, as far as like how it was put together over the course of these six episodes? I think her getting the scarf from Red Dagger feels very, that feels like very important and kind of hints in the comics that character is not around for a really long time. And I think it kind of hints to this idea that there's going to be some kind of connection between the clandestine and the Red Daggers going forward that will be more of a collaborative group than kind of the war that it's been before. And obviously the end with Cameron and uh, the kid who is the Red Dagger, whose name I have now forgotten. He's very good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that kind of proves that that's the direction that they're going to go with it. And her Kamala kind of is that connection between those two worlds. Kareem, <laughs> justice for Kareem. Thank you. <laughs> How's everybody feel about just like how this show was paced out overall and where it sits in the kind of hierarchy of these MCU shows on Disney plus, but I think also just kind of, where does it sit within MCU phase four as a whole? I think it's tough for me to say because well, I, I, I don't feel I can speak to that per se. I feel like this show is not especially aimed at me and I support that. But also, I don't feel like I can compare it to the other shows because I did really enjoy Ms. Marvel. Like even the even the episodes that I had some problems with in terms of the pacing or um, the narrative structure and stuff like that. But or even like the story editing, I still enjoyed them. I've enjoyed this show overall. But whether you know, for me personally, I. It does it. It doesn't sit up there with like Hawkeye is still the number one for me, and then this is probably third behind Wonder Vision, maybe. Yeah, I I agree with that. Wonder Vision is probably the best place for for me. I will say that Miss Marvel comics as a whole, they have so many layers in it that it's difficult to tell that story in in like six episodes, uh, and they're trying to tackle so many issues also so many locations at the same time um, and I felt that needed more I would have liked because I love the the Karachi episode and I like that it was in yeah but I would have rather liked more of Pakistan and more of Karachi in maybe a later season um, and they could have dealt with Zoe's character more that way they could have showed Jersey more they could have showed her high school life more you know um, and her training more because she just learns how to be a superhero very fast. In the comics, it takes her time. She randomly begins and shrinks because she doesn't know how to control it. Um, and I think it was necessary to show that. Um, I know that they were trying to get it done as soon as possible for the models. And I think that kind of joined um, the pacing for me. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree 
with Mazna and, and what Kirsty said. I think for me, it's definitely in that top tier, like the WandaVision, Hawkeye, and this would definitely be the, th- the three from the TV. I think what WandaVision and Hawkeye both, and this goes for the other shows as well, I think what WandaVision and Hawkeye work so well for them is they're almost concept shows. WandaVision has this very specific uh, structure and story that it's trying to tell. And the stuff that worked less for people in the finale was when it was blow- when that was blown up. Hawkeye is a cute Christmas adventure at a ground level. It fits into the time it was given. Like Mazna said, Ms. Marvel is, this is, they're basically doing like an origin movie in this, in a way that they would tell it in the MCU, which is huge and expanded, but also very stripped down compared to the comics. So I think that's why the pacing and stuff feels differently. I have to say, I, I, the first two episodes were so great. I loved the stuff in Karachi and that family aspect. But again, until this episode, I'd been like, oh, it could have been, it could have maybe been a second season. But actually, for me, with this episode as the finisher, I really understand where the story was, which was here's Kamala, here's her as a teen, here's her school life, here's her family. Here's what she has to understand before she can unlock her powers. And oh, here's her unlocking her powers, which not only are connected to her family, but are also innate to herself and open up this new world of the MCU. So this is definitely one where if I'd have been reviewing it, which I wasn't luckily, because <laughs> it would have been really hard. But like, if I'd have reviewed the first three episodes and not the last three, I would kind of be bummed because I feel like post the finale, it makes a lot more sense as a whole to me. But yeah, I, I agree. Those those two are the top and this one comes in around third, but it all kind of changes. I'm, I'm a shifting favorites person. I just love the characters in this show and I love the, the, the bones and the ideas in this show. So to the point where I, I want more from it, I feel like I'm, feel like I'm mothering it a bit, you know? Where it's like, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just a little bit disappointed because I just wanted you to come first in the race. And but you tried your best, and that's the most important. But you know, that's it's it's all very silly, really, isn't it? I mean, it, it was it was a good show. I think that's the tough thing about how much we love these characters. We like reflect that love onto them, and and we really right. want the best <laughs> for them. And I I totally understand what you're saying because like those first two episodes, I was ready to fight people who did not understand how incredible they were. And I could have absolutely had all six of just that. Like I would have loved that and getting to know these characters longer. And I I'm sad that that's not the world we're in, but also I'm like, if this means we get Kamala leading a movie, then I can deal with, I can understand like Mosna said, where they're trying to get her. So I'll take it. But yeah, it's yeah. funny. We we love them so much that we kind of like, I think you <laughs> summed it up perfectly. Like you're mothering them. Like you're like, I love you. Please don't make this mistake. Like don't do that. And, and I think this show actually more than any other one kind of understands our feelings where in that way, where I feel like a lot of the show wants you to connect with them in that way, like the stuff with Cameron yes. and Kamala at the end, they want you to be like, no, like Cameron, make the right choice, you know? And I think something this episode did really well as well is like, it built in a lot of themes from the X-Men, which I think was probably a lot of fun for the writers, but that notion of like using your power for good, using it to get vengeance on the people who have hurt you, which is very understandable, uh, using like controlling your anger and controlling your powers. I thought that was very cool and thoughtfully done. 
And as a big X-Men stan, I loved it. But yeah, I love these kids. I, I'm like a, I'm a sucker for kids storylines. So this thought, I was actually Thor Love and Thunder lover because <laughs> I love kids with superpowers. So yeah, <laughs> I just, I love these kids. I agree with Kirsty. <laughs> oh, Rosie, I wish you'd been on the uh, Thor Love and Stan uh, Thor, <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder standem on Monday as well, because I, <laughs> I felt like I was cheering by myself. Oh my God, I would have been there with you. I was like, I, look, <laughs> as with pretty much any show, any Marvel thing, I'm like, could it have been gayer? That would have been my one oh, yeah. critique. But otherwise, oh, yeah. I'm like, I love it. Like kids fighting with axes, like superpowers, <laughs> kind of like Shazam style, but on a much bigger scale. I loved it. So yeah, kids stories. I'm a, I'm a soft touch. I, I, I really got nothing productive to add to this that I haven't already <laughs> said. I think it's just really that I, I will watch this show again, you know? And you know what? Even, even like the, like I haven't had an, urge to revisit WandaVision and I loved WandaVision, you know, but I feel like once the mystery is out of the box with WandaVision, like how much am I going to get out of a rewatch? Whereas Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye, I can't wait to watch those again. You know, like Hawkeye is going to be a December watch for me until, until they put me on the ground. You know what I mean? So like, like I, I'm really into that. And the fact that Ms. Marvel Again, for whatever little like, you know, TV critic problems I have with it, it's so enjoyable and I like the character so much. And it's a world that I just enjoy looking at and living in, you know, like I root for these kids. I can't remember the last time there was a young cast of characters that like I actually like really look. I mean, I'm old, folks. I'm not trying to pretend that I identify with these with these kids, but like. I'm rooting for them. Like I want, they're all good. I want them to do well. Like I want good things for them, you know, like Bruno accepting that, you know, she's not into you, bro. Like, like, like I think like I felt that, you know, it's like, all right, but he's, he's handling it so well. He's such a good, you know, he's such a good dude. It just makes for good television. Um, I can see this show standing the test of time. And I really hope that after whatever adventure Kamala goes on in the Marvels, they're able to bring her back to Jersey City for another season of this. And I really, really hope that now that the big grand origin story is out of the way, and all of the MCU shows need to do this, they all need to embrace the fact that they're television. So as Muzna said, there's a reason they couldn't do it in this one. I get it. I'll accept it. I don't like it, but I'll accept it. For season two, they can do that, you know. And I and I really hope we get a season two. And I and I really hope they lean into all the things that made this show that much more special. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do you know what? One thing that I wanted to briefly chat about that I noticed that was actually probably my favourite part of the episode. During the action with the DODC at the end, it was all 
fairly sort of standard MCU, you know, sort of action, the way it was shot. And then there was one shot where Cameron, I think, was either rolled under the car and the camera went with him and turned around. And I was like, oh, that shot is amazing. Like it really stood out in this whole action sequence. And I was like, this feels like what they were trying to do. Yes! From the beginning is put a new stamp on the way this this story is told visually. And I felt like that got away from them a bit. Um, So it was almost like this flash of like, hang on, you can tell somebody fought for that shot and and had to set it up and it was complex and uh, and it just felt like people on the ground, you know, like making good TV. And that really stood out for me. Did anyone else notice that shot? Yeah, it reminded, I noticed it because it reminded me of um, the first episode and second episode, which are just so unreal visually and so different. But like the scene when she uh, falls back onto her bed Yes. And the camera falls with her. This feels like that same person planned this shot. I would have yes. loved to see more of that if we're talking about like things are, and, and more of like the way that in the first two episodes they put in the art. It was really nice to see that come back as well, the cartooning as they were planning. Um, so I love those visual tidbits. And I thought that I want to know whoever it was who was planning out that and prevising that stuff, like give them a movie. Because that looks different to anything we've ever seen in the MCU. I'm like, I would love to see that come to life in the Marvels, you know, wherever Kamala may be. Uh, if you look to the comics, there are some hints, but like, I'd love to see that world maybe be something that she could change with her powers or, or bring that visual uniqueness that the that the first episodes and touches of the finale had to to a kind of grander, more ongoing scale. Code Monkey in the comments. Welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, it says, I think we're just so lucky in the casting of Iman Villani. And it's true. Uh, like find of the year. Unreal. Uh, I, I hope she has a wonderful career, you know, beyond the MCU. But it's true. Like this is this is the kind of live action embodiment of a character from the page that you don't always get. I mean, this is like she is to Kamala what Christopher Reeve was to Superman, you know, what Chris Evans is to Steve Rogers, where it's just going to be impossible to imagine someone else in that role for a very long time. Uh, And the fact that, you know, she kind of came out of nowhere for this, it's absolutely great. Andy says, Ms. Marvel made me feel the way I felt when I watched Stargirl for the first time. Young superhero stories at their best. It's true, folks. If you like Ms. Marvel, you got to watch Stargirl. Yeah. First two seasons are on HBO Max. You will want to protect those kids with your life, just like you want to protect these kids. And guess what? Plug, but Den of Geek has like incredible interviews and coverage with those kids. Not just by me, but some of it is by me. <laughs> um, Most of those, it's by you. <laughs> those, those kids, like the, the, my coverage is not the amazing part. Those kids are incredible. And it very much, they very much bring that same energy and love for the characters that Imani does here. I mean, I was also a Runaways stan when it came out. Like it didn't necessarily, Stargirl has hit at all points for me. Miss Marvel's hit at all points. Uh, Runaways did not necessarily end up that way, but the cast of kids, unreal. If you want some kids to love and reflect your feelings onto, also Runaways. 
they're so yeah. delightful. <laughs> just it's t- the world needs to know about Stargirl. Like I've been yeah. saying this, I've been saying this for a while because you know what? I mean, I know we're on the other, we're on the distinguished competition now, but like I feel like Stargirl and their vision of of that team, which is the JSA, that's going to become very relevant in the next few months. So watch Stargirl now, so you can learn more about these characters and fall in love with another like diverse, cute crew of kids. Stargirl is not even the best character in the show. Like no. everyone, the, every kid is amazing. I, I, the first season, I still cry thinking about that season. And, and there are some actors in that where like Imani, I just want to see the absolute best for them. I've even fan casted Marvel characters with some of those characters, with some of those actors. Cause they're so good. So yeah, everybody, <laughs> I, I, I have a dream. I have dreams about those kids coming into the MCU where they can get a, a platform like Imani's. But yeah, I mean, we're so lucky to be living in a world where we get to see, I think Tom Holland really started it with Spider-Man where we get to see kids who actually look like kids playing kids. And we're now getting that in a much, an even more authentic way. And Imani is such a joy and you can see her she's going to be able to stand and lead a movie next to Ka- next to Brie Larson and Tayona Paris like there is no question and that is power for a new actress of that age like you know Social Gomez as well we got to see her like we are really lucky and I can't wait to see more of these young kids coming in and just breaking our hearts but also like making us fall in love with them it's my favorite thing <laughs> there are um other big implications for the future of Ms. Marvel uh, in the MCU. And that is that revelation that Bruno drops on her. She's a mutant. And this is not, I mean, it makes sense, but it's not where I expected this to be properly introduced. Uh, <laughs> what, <I love> that <laughs> perfect <title>. perfect <laughs> that's me on the right uh you know short and grumpy uh short old and grumpy like wolvie uh <laughs> what what does everybody think about this and Musna, i'm going to start with you because you know you're you're a big fan of the comics so you were like properly indoctrinated into the inhumans of it all. And we kind of knew they weren't going to go there. So what did you, how did you, how did you take this? Kevin Feige's really testing my patience. Like really, really testing my patience here. I have no issues with mutants and I, but I do feel it is very unnecessary to have Miss Marvel be that. Um, and also like, I don't understand the baiting throughout the series when Bruno mentions, you know, the powers coming within you and the pre-hand and then the Terrigan mist and all of that, like I, and finally, like he's, he's saying, you know, like your brother asked me if he could have superpowers um, and in the comics, yes, he can. Uh, so, like when he, when he's doing that and I'm on the edge of my scene, I'm just like, yes, it's being named up right now. It's coming. Like well, this is all what we've been waiting for. And then he says mutant and I'm just like, what? Why? Why don't you just go ahead and say inhuman? I don't understand if this is where it was headed. Why didn't they just hint at it from the start or drop any kind of indication that this is where they're going? Because um, I, in the last episode, when I see the myths like kind of affecting those people, the same way we saw it in Agents of Shield, I'm just like, oh, there it is. You know, that's that's where it is. That's where it's headed. Um, and then this happens. And honestly, like I. 
I know that this is a big change. Um, I can accept the mutant thing. I would have accepted it, but I hated how they baited it. I honestly hated that they baited us into like thinking she was inhuman. I am going to say the, the sad, cynical truth of, of this decision. I actually, I love this decision. Uh, I worked in a comic shop when Ms. Marvel was coming out, when the inhuman stuff, the Terrigen missed all of that. At the time, it was very widely perceived that the reason Miss Marvel was an inhuman was because Marvel didn't want to make her a mutant because they couldn't make X-Men movies. This is a comic book shop conversation, not anything official, but that was generally how it was perceived by fans. I love that this is kind of a full circle moment of allowing Ms. Marvel to once again be a mutant, which is what it seemed like she always was in the comics, kind of following a long tradition of Falcon was teased as a mutant and then wasn't. Spider-Man was teased as a mutant and then wasn't. Um, so it was interesting to kind of see them basically return to that. But I think it's really fair for people to be annoyed about the inhuman thing. I think the sad thing is because of how the the TV show went, they were never going to do inhumans here. Um, and I think for I think that Miss Marvel's inhuman origin they definitely bait and switched here, which I think was very cheeky. It worked for me, but I think Muzna makes a lot of good points because they were really testing it. I also don't, there's lots of mutant siblings. So to me, I kind of still hope that her brother will get to have powers because that can coincides. And, and I think that would be a real shame to not explore that because it's so cool in the comics. I will also just say, something I do potentially love about this, like my X-Men side getting excited, is like Ms. Marvel lives in New Jersey, very easy to go to a school for gifted youngsters in upstate New York. She's very close. In the comics, Jean Grey, who's called Marvel Girl, was the first ever student of Xavier's. And I kind of love the idea that in the MCU, we might see Ms. Marvel become the first student and kind of have that. I, I, there's a lot I love about it. I think the best of the X-Men is slice of life, street level stories, playing with softball, playing softball, like, uh, hanging out in the school, kind of dealing with that's the stuff I love the most. And Miss Marvel feels like a fit for that. So I love it. But I do think they I think they were cheeky. I also would love to know, did you guys feel I, I wasn't 100 percent sure if this was always meant to be the way I feel like that scene could have definitely been like a reshoot. It, I wasn't. A, it felt to me like yeah. it could have. It was a. it was a maybe a last minute change. It did feel like that to me as well. I mean, with the X-Men, I, man, I just have no skin in the game. I'm not a huge fan of those movies. I've read some of the the big X-Men comics runs, like Hox, Pox and stuff like that. I'm not as excited as other people see the X-Men back. But also, I, on some level I am, because I love the drama of the X-Men. Yes! And I'm like... Let's have more of that in the MCU because there is just not nearly enough like intense drama. So uh, yeah, that's that's the excitement level for me. And um, there's this podcast that um, I listen to called Cerebro. It's so good. If you don't if you don't follow it or subscribe to Cerebro, get so on good. it now. You will not regret it. The drama is just incredible, and that's basically a lot of my exposure to the X Men is just listening to to all the drama that's gone down over the years. And I almost feel like I have read some of the comic runs that I actually haven't at this, at this stage. <laughs> Cerebro is so good. 
And yes. it takes like all of my strength not to steal Connor's uh, dwy. Don't worry about it on this show <laughs> all the time. Uh, like to me, that is just like just the peak of explaining like superhero ridiculousness. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit agnostic about the revelation that Kamala is a mutant. I, I, look, I, I got to confess, I don't care about the Inhumans. I've never cared about the Inhumans. And I say this. <laughs> as one of the biggest Jack Kirby fans on the planet. I have never cared about the Inhumans. And I know there's all kinds of reasoning here. Everything Rosie said is correct as far as like what might be what and what might, what might not be what. When Marvel in 2014 and 2015 was like aggressively pushing Inhuman stuff in every single comic, it was really obnoxious. And it was, and a lot of the stories didn't work. I'm not counting Ms. Marvel. Like, like I'm talking about completely independent of those Ms. Marvel comics, which are the best comics of that era. A lot of it was so clearly a corporate mandate of we cannot make X-Men, we cannot make X-Men movies. We need to make our comic line align a little bit more thematically and visually with the movies and TV shows. What can we use as stand-ins for mutants? And suddenly Inhumans were everywhere. And it's so rare. I mean, look, it's intellectual property. These are massive corporations. Like I, like, I don't have any illusions about this stuff. But it was so clear what was going on there. And it was just gross. Like, it just didn't, like, it, it just didn't work. The Inhuman stuff on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was tedious. And when I gave up on that show... The Inhumans TV show, like, like nobody, <laughs> like, 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 not even people. Not Let's people, not bring it up. Yeah, like not even people <laughs> in Marvel want to talk about that. So, like, I know why they did it here. I don't think, I don't think it was necessary. You know, I think you could have, they could have found a way to redeem that a little bit, especially given how hyped audiences were to see Anson Mount return as alternate reality black in, in Dr. Strange too, you know? So there's like, there's something there and they missed an opportunity to redeem a kind of forgotten part of the MCU's live action legacy. This is getting a little tiny bit in the comic book weeds, but like they're doing a big um, comic book. And I think this might answer some of this one. I will say we've heard them say the word mutation before in the MCU so I would say this, it, uh, with the X-Men, as they call it now, 97 theme, it seems like they're confirming Kamala uh, is a mutant. But I would also say we don't 100% know and they like to tease. So, But in the, they're doing a Avengers, X-Men, Eternals crossover at the moment. I wonder if the end game of that is to say that the mutants and the inhumans come from the same lineage. I wonder if they're going to try and retcon come some kind of space to bring those two things together because mutants have a mutant gene that can be what's the word like it can be triggered and and they say that now on the official marvel website you know they say pterogenesis is like a mutagenic trigger so i kind of wonder if this is our first hint that in the new world of marvel where kevin feige is in charge of the comics and the movies mutants and inhumans will become more aligned that's my that's my theory <laughs> one of my many but I, I i think that we could see a space where they're closer together because like you said people are people love the inhumans and those who love them love them passionately mostly because of kamala and people were excited for ants and mount so 
And to introduce the X-Men in a TV show, it seems shocking to me. So I think there's something bigger and maybe longer term plans going on here. You're probably right. And I'm just relieved, honestly, that this takes the idea off the table that it's like, well, there was a multiverse incursion and there's mutants now. And look, here's you, Jackman, as Wolverine again. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That was my biggest fear with introducing mutants to the MCU. The last thing that we need is this just being like, oh, look who just walked through a portal and now the X-Men are here. Like the Fox X-Men movies are bad. Like they're bad. Logan is great. Deadpool is great. Days of Future Past is okay, but these movies are bad, folks. Like, I'm <laughs> sorry. Like, they don't hold up. They're, they just never really fully nailed what makes the X-Men special. To do this right in the MCU, these are the characters that are going to sustain the next 20 years of these movies, you know? And it's interesting to me that by using Kamala as the way into this, it almost makes me wonder... Like, I think it's going to be a long time before we get an actual X-Men movie, but maybe we'll get a Storm movie. Maybe, I think that is the right? smart call. I think you've got to go for the characters people care about that mean something to them. Also, Storm has been the headmaster at Xavier's before. There's different ways we could do it. And I think, like, talking to Kirsty's dream of drama, which is the best part of the X-Men, the petty drama. <laughs> I'm seeing people also in the comments talking about it. Like, everyone loves that. What is more petty drama than having like a school of kids with superpowers. You can begin the petty drama there and then you get to the good, weird, thrupple petty drama of the teachers, you know, the Scots genes and Wolverines, the, the stuff that people really love. I, I think this is a, a smart way and I'm, I'm interested to see how SDCC and the Marvel panel will now expand on this and the notion of the X-Men. Wouldn't it be just wild if they're just planning to do all their introduction to the X-Men into the MCU just via X-Men 97? They really... (laughs) I could see it! Like, they're taking the DC route of Everything Matters. It's funny to me, too, that that X-Men 97 theme is so important and so iconic now to X-Men stuff overall. You know... The MCU has never done those kind of callbacks to like other pop cultural stuff. Like other than like, you know, there's like a snippet of the 60s Iron Man cartoon theme song that you'll see, you'll hear in the first Iron Man movie. But but it's a joke when they do it there. The way they've deployed that first in Doctor Strange 2 and now here, it's like the way that DC would deploy the John Williams Superman theme from time to time where it's like, oh, this is the bit that's going to make like like the hair on your arm stand up, you know? So I'm kind of cool with that. Um, but I think it is really crucial they get this right, that they do something very different. I don't think that they're, that Disney and Marvel Studios have the appetite to make the X-Men like as horny and dysfunctional as they need to be. Like, But um, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And just speaking to Rosie Knight's uh, dream earlier, Jersey City is only about a one hour drive from Lower Westchester County and Gray Malkin Lane. So like it would make it would make a little bit of say Muslim is like is like is like steaming. She's like, they better not. 
That's that's what I'm worried about, right? Like I'm I'm worried that they're gonna take her and then put her with a bunch of good superheroes in X Men and then she lose her um what she is to Jersey City, basically. Um and they're gonna lose her lose her singularity and her character as a whole. Like I don't want that happening. I want them to concentrate on her. That's fair. I, I very see, fair. I see both sides of this. Uh, <laughs> Both can exist too. We could have Kamala can be part of a team. She's been champions in the comics, you know. She's been in the Avengers, like kind of during a different phase where they had kind of very similar MCU characters in the Avengers. But I think Musna's so right. We can't lose the ground level hero in New Jersey. Is so key to who Kamala is and why people love her. As long as that is the focus, and anything else is a cool addition that we get to enjoy Kamala's joy. I mean, imagine how happy she'd be to be in a superhero team. That's the best part of the movies, you know? So I want to see that, but I think Muslim's right. It's got to be on Kamala's terms. We can't use it as a way to erase who Kamala is or have her get lost in uh, five other people's stories. Well, if they do anything, uh, if they do anything, you know, here that annoys us with the X-Men, um, or the Inhumans, or anything that starts to really bother us, we can always rely on Deadpool to come up later and, and make a <laughs> joke about it, and uh, we'll feel very silly for caring. Yeah, I guess I guess it's also kind of the Spider-Man problem, right? You know, as great as Tom Holland is, we only have one real neighborhood Spider-Man movie, um, and I do want more of those stories for Kamala as well, but mostly. I just want I just want more of Kamala Khan in this world, and I'm I'm kind of greedy, and I'll take what I can get. But the next place we're going to see her is the Marvels, uh, and the post credit scene is a massive, massive setup for that uh, with a fun, like like a really fun and funny Brie Larson cameo. Um, what did everybody think about this before we dive into the comic book roots of this? It was very, it's very outrageous, very funny. I think they placed the cameo at the perfect time. I also feel like this could be a bit of a Doctor Strange-esque recontextualization for Carol Danvers, who I found to be very serious and stern in the in the movies in a way that doesn't necessarily represent the best parts of her from the comics. So I kind of like the goofy, confused, like funny comedic beat of this. And what it means when we get into that comic stuff, I love the connection that they've now created with her and Kamala that brings Kamala even closer to her, her idol. So I, I love this. I couldn't believe they did it. It's so wacky, especially after that big mutant reveal. They're like, oh, here, also this. Um, I will say um, Captain America's, uh, Captain Marvel, sorry, not Captain America. Um, How many my, captains? Uh, our cameos are, are the best. Um, and seeing her here, I, I've been calling it from the start. I knew she wasn't it. And it comes from like me watching so many interviews and so many conversations that Brie and uh, Iman had. Like I, I knew this was happening. Like it had to. Um, and then it was the way that it was done. It was like kind of an ode to like her shape abilities. Because for a second there, I was just like, wait, what? Did, did they just do that for a second? And then I was like, no, no, it's like, it's probably like her switching places with her because she picks up her picture and looks around the room. She's like, oh no, <laughs> no, this is the wrong place to be. For a second there, I was just like, oh my God, they gave us everything because they had Imbigen in the in the previous like few minutes ago. And I was like, oh, maybe that's happening now. They're coming back to like the original powers. 
But seeing her there was so good. I'm so excited for the Marvels. Um, I will say that um, I do want to see her kind of um, like clash or not clash is probably not the right word, but her kind of realize that he was not the perfect person that she thinks she is. Like that. Yes. That arc was so important in the comics, and I and I hope that. Because they don't really cover it in the show, so I I still hope that they they do that in the Marvels. But Brie here was like the best. I love her costume also. There's like a poster of her like right behind her. It's like literally exactly similar. I was hyped to see her. I I love Captain Marvel. I like how she's like this unbothered cop of the galaxy. <laughs> like, <laughs> she just does not have time for it, and you know I can support that. Um, I'm really the two projects I'm most excited for are Secret Invasion and the Marvels. So everything about this post credit scene was a win for me. Um, I was just a bit confused because are these the Nega bands or are they the Quantum bands? That's the one only thing that yeah. I was sat there thinking about afterwards. <laughs> I, um, I think I think they're going. My my guess is it's it's probably going to be the Quantum bands in name because of the notion of the quantum realm and everything we understand. But I think it's the Nega, but I think they're going to be a combination basically rather than the secondary or first version. Um, yeah. I couldn't believe they brought in this kind of confident. We all get, we had a lot of us had guessed that the bangle was potentially a Nega band or a quantum band, but to see it in this very Rick Jones-esque, oh, they've switched places. One of them's gone. One of them's here. That was, I. Uh, it was so fun. And it actually fits so well with the best parts of this show, which are that comedic, sweethearted adventure of being a superhero. Um, I'll be interested to see if they call them the Negabands, I think we can assume that they'll use them as a way to introduce the Fantastic Four and the Negative Zone and stuff like that. But, as Kirsty so smartly mentioned, the quantum bands, like if the, it would be very easy for them to be the quantum bands. And when we see, like in the comics, where they get switched in the comics, it's the negative zone. It would be very easy here for them to get put into the quantum realm and that be the limbo-esque space when one of them is wearing them and the other one is, is away, you know. And I, I'm very interested to see where they go. I would assume this is the inciting incident for the Marvels. And Kamala will be in that space and Kara will be having to work out what's going on with the help of Monica. So that to me is like 10 out of 10 want to see that movie even more, even though it was already like my most anticipated. I'm like, yes. Also, I'm always happy if Rick Jones is not going to be in the MCU. So the fact that Miss <laughs> Marvel could take on that that role, but has already established herself as a superhero in her own right, I think is very cool. I think they're most cert almost certainly going to be the quantum bands. And yeah, Mike's Nega band dream is just dead. No, technically but it's the they same were thing. originally the Nega band, so it, it, yeah. you get both. You get both. Like the the quantum band doesn't <laughs> exist without the Nega band. But but if I'm, they don't if if they don't, they don't say, say Nega band <laughs> oh, in the on, MCU, Chris, that's not fair. <laughs> Michael will be in a fetal position you know in what? bed, just sobbing into a blanket. But they're like, already doing we, what I wanted, so I it's was, the same thing. I also, was right. We did just, go, taking it back to Thor Love and Thunder, controversially, I can tell this is going to be my new Eternals where I'm like always taking it back there and everyone's like, please stop <laughs> talking about it. But um, <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder, you know, in that world, we just met Eternity. It was Eternity's kids who made the original Negaband. So I think we're getting into this cosmic space where these conversations are going to be happening. So even if it's called the Quantum Bands, 
we might hear someone say, you know, oh, Epoch or Eon was the one who they were created out of that. And that's also why Thor's daughter will probably end up becoming a part of something, because if everyone's got these cosmic things, you need someone who can battle against them. And I think Kamala and Carol will be a bit, and Monica, obviously, as well. I'm really excited to see how they explore her powers. But yeah, I think we could have both guys. I'm going to be I'm be the the mediator. I believe you. you could both. I believe you could both exist. I just, yeah, I thought this was so fun and weird, and I thought the way they did it was perfect. Imani's performance in that moment of like getting sucked in was so good. Like you just like she's just like what the f, you know, and 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 just in that it's hard to act when you're being sucked into a CGI void, but of course she smashed it. <laughs> but yeah, I just think this is so cool, and I sort of can't believe they did it because I think. It is text for a lot of us who know this stuff, but it's also weird, old stuff, which they are taking a lot of from. So I think it was sort of, it was an interesting choice too, because I think a lot of people who watched it, it will be more like an intriguing mystery than immediately understanding where it's going to go. And this successfully, because the Marvels seem so far off, you know, I mean, it's been announced forever you know, but like because of COVID and all the release date changes and blah, 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 blah. It's just been, and you know, we haven't seen anything from it. It's always just been like such a remote thing where I've been like, I'll get hyped for it when I get hyped for it. Post-credit scenes in phase four have not been consistently good at doing much of anything, to be honest. This is the rare one. Thor Love and Thunder did it. Thor, Thor Love and Thunder was great and was very impactful and fun. But this is the rare modern MCU post-credit scene that is explicitly hyping a future project, like a specific future project that got me hyped. I was like, yep, okay, I'm in for whatever, whatever the Marvels is doing, I'm there. So it's a win. It's a big win. I'm curious to see if, uh, if Nia DaCosta directed that scene. You know, like, you know how often with these post-credit scenes, like it's sometimes the director of the project that it's teasing who steps in to do that. I'm curious to find out if that was the case or not. Not to take anything away from the brilliant directors of this episode and this entire series. Like, I'm not implying, you know, that this was so good that it couldn't have been like, get out of here with that nonsense. Um, but I'm just always curious just from a behind the scenes perspective, if that might be the case. Possibly. I was hyped for the marbles and then I saw Candyman and I was like double hyped. Yeah. And Nia, now... Nia is such a star. Like I just, that's such an interesting yeah. choice. And I think if it was her, that would be really cool because I did feel like the visual way that they represented the switch between the two characters was very exciting and felt like something I'd like to see continued, which was that kind of mixture between the the space of it all with like the portal, but also the physical kind of comedy of the closet. So I hope that that continues visually. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye this week? I'm really sad that it's over. Um, oh, I, <laughs> I can't like, it's just like, I have to wait a whole year for to see her again. Um, and I love having her on, on screen. I love looking forward to it. Um, and the show meant so much to my family. Like my cousin and I, we would just wake up and like talk about it all day. My uncle literally, and I have to show this because it's so important. My uncle literally made this. Wow. Um, That's incredible. I know. It's so good. It's so cool. It's basically carved in wood and it's like used like laser and stuff. 
And it's like I, her iconic pose, like her looking over New York. And this is like my home decor now. So um, I love having her like a piece of her um, in my house. I will say as good as the show is, I really want people to read the comics because um, it's one of the best things I've read. And I've read a lot of stuff apart from comics, but like her, the layers and everything, the, the kind of way that they kind of bring her culture and her teenagers and her life in America and her life in Pakistan kind of melded it together um, to create this. It's amazing. Uh, I will say like you have to go through with all of the barcodes that were in the episodes. The recent one was actually... Um, issue 19 and that was right before wars um and that's something where she kind of comes out like to her mom she's like you know i'm uh miss marvel and she's like i'm so proud of you and that's one single-handedly like, my favorite moment in all of the comments like her mother just like accepting her as she is um they're very good there's a redemption arc for zoe also in that comic so like she could read it for her as well um but yeah i'm i'm just i'm thrilled that i got to see it on the screen and um, basically, in Pakistan, Karachi has also won City Wars because it's in the MCU. Um, so I'm always going to use that as a point of debate now. Muslim, we've loved having you on the show yes. the last, you know, six weeks. And unfortunately, you have to put up with me every day at Denny Geek. Um, <laughs> but I know the audience loved you. This became Muslim standum for a while as well. Uh, and we hope you come back. Uh, if you're not, you know, if I don't chase you off in our, in our day-to-day work stuff, uh, in the meantime, Rosie, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Oh yeah. You can find me at, um, I have a week, I co-host a weekly podcast, Crooked Media's X-Ray Vision with Jason Concepcion, which is just a total joy, very much in the vein of, of this rad kind of, kind of conversation. Uh, I will have pieces about this episode of Miss Marvel going up at Nerdist, IGN, probably Dead of Geek. I mean, let's be real. At some point, I'm going to write about Miss Marvel and the next ones. Uh, yeah, you can find my stuff all there. I have Instagram and Letterboxd on my two social medias. You can see them down that side. I don't know how this works. I'm bad at reflections. <laughs> Rosie Marks, that one. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm going to have some cool Den of Geek aligned SDCC stuff too. So keep an eye out for that. And folks, make sure you're checking out dennygeek.com slash Marvel. Kirsty is our head of Marvel content there, and they are just incredible with the amount of analysis and opinion and hot takes and reviews that we get out of there. So it's a great team we have, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show. I think we got to call it a day. Uh, so that is officially it for this week's Marvel Standom. We are taking next Wednesday off. We're going to be prepping for all the big MCU announcements that we are expecting out of San Diego Comic-Con. Then we will be back to analyze all of it everywhere. Make sure you're following every Den of Geek social account so you don't miss out. Now, just as important, maybe even more important, make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home at denofgeek.com where you can find all that Marvel coverage. That's denofgeek.com slash Marvel. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. We are at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Give them a follow. That's the easiest way to reach us. Don't forget, we also have a DC show. So check out DC Standom when you can on all major podcast platforms. And guess what? You might even hear this week's special guest, Rosie Knight, pop up, pop up on there too, especially on the latest episode. If you came in late, 
You'll be able to watch this entire episode on DennyGeek.com or at our YouTube home. That's DennyGeek US. Don't forget to check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcast. Uh, thank you once again to our sponsor, Bob Streaming Club. Make sure you check them out over at BobStreamingClub.com. Thanks again to our special guests. Thanks to our very, very patient producer, Andrew Halley, uh, who I really screwed at the beginning of this episode, didn't I? Sorry about that, Andrew. Uh, thanks to Denny Geek Social Media Coordinator, Lee Parham. Lee, by the way, was right. Uh, when I was talking about X-Men movies, I neglected to mention the really, really good X-Men First Class. Lee corrected me and I didn't get around to it. So thank you, Lee, for keeping everybody, including me, in line. Go follow our TikTok. We are at Denny Geek TV. Lee's doing really great work there. As usual, special shout out to Michael R. for making the podcast version of this show all it can possibly be. But most of all, thank you all for watching, listening, following, and subscribing. This has been Marvel Standom on the Denny Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, we stand together.